Our scripture reading for this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 11 and going on through uh, verse 22. So if you'd like to uh, follow along on a hard copy Bible, there should be one in the back of the pew in front of you, but uh, if you prefer the screen, it will be up on the screen as well. So Ephesians chapter 2, starting at uh, verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. The word of the Lord. Continuing past verses 1 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2 is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. And the first 10 verses are monumentally eye-opening. If you're familiar with them, they're, they're especially huge if you hold to the Reformed faith. They teach us about our need for a Savior and about how God graciously sends His Son, Jesus Christ, and fills us with His Holy Spirit to stir up faith in us. So Ephesians 2 verse 1 begins by describing us as dead in our transgressions and sins. That's how Paul opens up. As he progresses, then in verses 4 and 5, Paul writes, 
Because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. So it's sort of like, you want the good news first or the bad news first? Paul starts with the worst news in the world. You are dead in your transgressions and sins. You are hopeless and helpless. And he builds the best news in the world. That God sent his son to save us and make us alive again. What an amazing few verses. Like I said, it contains the foundation of our faith, especially foundation of the Reformed faith. These verses function as a great proof for many Reformed doctrines. Some heavy topics like total depravity, our, our sinfulness down to the very core. And that God chooses us unconditionally to be his sons and his daughters. That we didn't have to do anything to ever earn God's love. And very importantly, we never will. So you might say, Amen! That's amazing! Why aren't we talking about that this morning? I like hearing about how God loves me, and even though I'm a sinner, it feels good to know that God wants to give me mercy. And I agree. It's a very safe place to be, standing on the mercy that God gives to us. In fact, there's no safer place in the world than remaining and standing firm on God's grace and His mercy. The problem I have for us this morning is that all too often, we stop there. We recognize our own sin, and sometimes we don't have a problem recognizing the sin of people around us either. And we also recognize that despite our sin, God fills us with faith that we might be granted His grace. Ephesians 2, verse 10, the ending of the section that we didn't read, goes like this. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so the conclusion that Paul's trying to get the Ephesians to see in these opening verses is that we're not saved by our works, but that Christ has saved us for works. And so now we must ask, what exactly are these good works that Christ has saved us for? And this is where verse 11 begins with that oh-so-important word that pastors love to talk about, therefore. So this is Paul's flow. You have been saved by grace through faith. You are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Therefore. And this is where we begin at verse 11. It's hard to turn the page in this stand. So as we go on this morning, I'm going to 
heavily reference an article that I read on the CRCNA website a few weeks back. This article also focuses on these same verses in Ephesians 2, the second half of Ephesians 2. The article uh, focuses on a talk given by a Reverend Sandra Van Opstel at the Inspire 2022 conference. It's the CRC conference. So I have a quote for you that I want to read from Van Opstel that inspired me when writing this sermon. Reverend Sandra Van Opstel says, We spend a lot of energy talking about the fact that we are saved, but so little energy and imagination describing what we are saved for. So let's move on to the text. Verse 11. Paul wants to remind the Gentile Ephesians of how they once were before they knew Christ. So they will remember that they have no reason to be proud. They're very different people than they used to be. But they didn't get there on their own. Our very beloved John Calvin, in his commentary on this passage, writes that Paul points to the method of reconciliation that they might rest with perfect satisfaction on Christ alone and not imagine that any other aids were necessary. The Gentiles have been reconciled to God and Christ did all of the work to accomplish that. It's really important as we're going to take careful note about how this passage is progressing. Paul writes in verse 13 that in Christ you have been brought near. And the very next sentence in verse 14, then Paul writes, for he himself is our peace. So either Paul's bad at grammar or he's talking about two different groups. So let's go with option two. The first group, the you, is referring to the Gentiles. In Christ, you, the Gentiles, have been brought near. And then the hour in verse 14 is a reference to now Jews and Gentiles joined together. Because remember, Paul's not a Gentile. Paul's a Jew. And so what he's saying in this part of his letter to the Ephesian church is, hey, you Gentiles, remember who you were before you knew Christ. Before Christ, you were nothing. And he's also saying, hey, you Jews, remember who we were before Christ. Without Christ, we, too, are nothing. And now that we've established how much we all suck, let's suck together. Christ is our peace. Verse 14, 
For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. When I read that for the first time, or when I really paid attention to it for the first time, let me say, I thought, what is this barrier that Paul is talking about? What exactly is he referring to? So there is, of course, the temple curtain. When Christ died on the cross, the temple curtain was torn in two, and it signifies the breaking down of the barrier between God and man. As I thought about it, I, I don't think that that's what Paul is referring to. And there's also a wall in the Jewish temple that divides the Gentile court from the Jewish court. There's a barrier there, a dividing wall. But I still think that there's something deeper in what Paul is trying to get at. It's the law that Christ destroyed, or rather, fulfilled. The Christ's life of perfection makes our obedience to the law irrelevant for our salvation. Because of Christ's perfect obedience, our obedience to the law is irrelevant for our salvation. The law was given to the Jews, but they could not obey it. So Jesus is making peace between those who were given the law and those who were not given the law. Peace now between the Jews and the Gentiles because the law is fulfilled. And so Christianity is officially multi-ethnic. It's a unique community now entirely non-exclusive, encompassing the entire human race. And this unity between former enemies epitomizes, it, it highlights the unifying work of God. God didn't just unify or reconcile the Jews and the Gentiles to himself separately, but he also unifies, he reconciles them to be united and reconciled together, to each other. Paul tells us in verse 15 that Jesus' purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. What an interesting description. A new humanity. No longer Jews, no longer Gentiles, something entirely different, something new has come because of Christ's death and his resurrection. So no longer see yourselves as Jews and no longer as Gentiles, we're all just people. And so now, in a much broader and while a modern context, a similar idea applies. 
that this church might not be a Jewish Christian church with a few Gentiles scattered around. But let's think for a minute together about who here in the Mountain View community might feel like an insider who's very comfortable and welcomed by everyone. And on the flip side, who in our community might feel like an outsider? It's very likely, and hopefully true, that we haven't actually done anything on purpose to make anyone feel excluded. More likely the case is, as Mother Teresa put it, we've just forgotten that we belong to each other. In verses 16 through 18, we see how Christ accomplishes reconciliation. It's done by his ministry, traveling around, preaching, teaching, sharing the good news, healing. And it's done through the cross. It's true that all of this reconciliation is only possible through the death and resurrection of Christ. In verse 18, then, we kind of see the fullness of our reconciliation. For through Him, through Christ's death and resurrection, we both have access to the Father now by one Spirit. And then verse 19, Paul writes, Consequently, so because Jesus has given us all access to the Father by one Spirit, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. Gentiles are no longer to be considered foreigners and strangers in the family of God by the Jews. They're insiders now. They're not outsiders anymore. And this morning, if, if you are not a Jewish person, which I assume most of us in this room are not, you too are no longer foreigners and strangers in the family of God. Though you once were. As the book of Ephesians goes on, Paul continues to encourage unity in the church. Unity between Jews and Gentiles. Unity, reconciliation between insiders and outsiders. The city of Ephesus was one of the greatest seaports of the ancient world. It was a big, multicultural, multi-ethnic city. And so the church in Ephesus, too, was multicultural and multi-ethnic. It's not just... Jews and Greeks, there was many different kinds of Gentiles. And so when Paul encourages church-wide unity, it would mean that they would have to learn about lots of different kinds of people, that they would have to spend time with people who are different from them. Spooky. 
when we look around this room, too, we see largely people from the same cultural and ethnic background. Now, this isn't necessarily a bad thing or a good thing, but let me just bring it up because there could be a few reasons for this. For starters, there really are just a lot of Dutch people that live in this area. Whether you've grown up around here or not, we tend to want to live and be with people who are like us. I'm not from the Grimsby area, but I don't have much of a hard time fitting in with this community because I come from a similar cultural and ethnic background as many of you. But not all of you. It's very important that this is not a Dutch church. That Grimsby is not a Dutch city. And that's a good thing, remember. There's so much more to this community. Another potential reason why this church consists of largely the same cultural and ethnic background could be because when someone from a different cultural background walks through these doors, that they might feel a bit misunderstood, whether on purpose or not. Again, maybe they're stared at a little bit. Maybe not very many people will want to talk to them. That we don't really get them, and they don't really get us. And so we're fine to just let them do their own thing. And they can worship with us if they want, but if they don't want to stick around, then we won't really care all that much. You'll notice I used a lot of us and them language in those last few sentences. But the thing about what Jesus accomplished in destroying barriers, in being our peace, is that because of Jesus, there is no them. There is only us. Whether we're from different backgrounds or not, we all see the world a, a little bit differently. And it can be hard to get along with people who are different from ourselves. I think most of us would agree that even within our immediate families, we see the world differently from each other. But more often than not, we might be more willing to accept the differences that's within our family than we would to the differences that we have with a stranger. But that's precisely my point this morning. We call each other's brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all part of God's family. So we need to be treating each other like it. 
Jesus has reconciled the things that used to divide us. Race, cultural background, generational differences. But God's family, the body of Christ is non-exclusive. Nothing is allowed to divide us from each other. We cannot be satisfied with division. So how do we fight it? Pictures of diversity and unity. This is an article from the CRCNA website that uh, our office admin, Karen, shared with the staff team a few weeks back. And I feel like God brought that article to Karen and, and used her to send it to me so that I could bring it to all of you this morning. And the article was written by Kristen DeRue Vanderberg, who many of us here might know as the daughter of the late Pastor Fred. Kristen's article, like I said, focuses on a talk given by Reverend Sandra Van Opstel at the Inspire 2022 conference. And Van Opstel calls us to oneness as the church. The major theme in her talk. That each church congregation within itself needs to work at practicing oneness so that we can better become the church, the people who represent Jesus. So here's a quote from Van Opstel on oneness. Oneness is not politeness. Oneness is not agreeing. Oneness is not a lack of conflict. Oneness is the grace and truth of recognizing that every headline that hits the news hits all of us differently. There are multiple Christian views on a headline, multiple responses. And those differences are racially, culturally, and generationally divided. That's challenging. There is so much different. But all of us. And so how can we practically work on this? This oneness. This reconciliation. Well, thankfully, Van Opstel covers that too. She says that we can accomplish oneness by working at three practices. Hospitality solidarity, and mutuality. First, hospitality. Ben Opsel says that hospitality is not an act. It's a lifestyle and a culture where we create environments of welcome. 
So hospitality must be an ongoing thing. It's not a one-off. And we can put together volunteer teams that are assigned to greet people at the door and hand out coffee, but I think hospitality goes the longest way when it comes from the average Joe. Like when I go to a new church, then I tend to feel the most welcome when a random friendly face pops up to chat with me. Next, we have solidarity. Solidarity says, we stand with you. It sees names and stands with people in their experiences, good or bad. And so it includes celebration, and it can also include lament. That when we see injustice, that our heart goes out for those people. Because they are our people. Remember, there is no them anymore. There is only us. And so when someone faces injustice in our world, we all face it together. Galatians 6 verse 2. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, fulfill the law of Christ. That last phrase there really sticks out to me. In this way, fulfill the law of Christ. That the emphasis of obedience here isn't on like purity or greed or something like that. But the emphasis that Paul puts here on how to obey Christ is by carrying each other's burdens. To be there for people. That's how you obey Christ. Be there for people. Finally, we have mutuality. Mutuality assumes reciprocity with the other. Which means that we each have something to give. And that includes the people who are different from us. Mutuality acknowledges that we can learn from people who are not like us. No matter who you are, we need you. So if we can learn to embrace these practices, hospitality, solidarity, mutuality, we here can begin to become the multi-ethnic, multicultural, multinational, multi-generational, multilingual church that God has called us to be, that he has created us to be, redeemed us, and empowered us to be. All of us together are being built 
together into the church. Instead of being built on the law, like the Jews were, we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The building, this church, is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So, the foundation is teaching. That's what the apostles and prophets did. They taught. It's knowledge. But let's note together very clearly that knowledge is not the whole house. It's extremely important, of course. If you have a weak or a cracked foundation, the whole house comes down. But a foundation doesn't make a whole house. A house with no walls and no roof doesn't provide much shelter for anyone. In verse 22, Paul describes the Jews and Gentiles as being built together in Christ to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Doesn't that sound like church? We're all being built together, learning from each other, fighting for one another, and standing on the person that is all of our peace, Christ Himself. We are being built together as the house, as the dwelling in which God lives. And in order to be built together, we have to sort of be glued together. It's like we got to get some mortar stuck up in between us and we got to squish together and hold on tight to each other. Because some of us bricks are a little different from each other, we're different colors, different shapes, different sizes. But you remember, we all have a place. And we all have to learn to stick together, to hold on tight, regardless of our differences. That no matter the age, gender, race, culture, nobody is an outsider here. Amen. Let's pray. God, you are our peace. You are our reconciliation. You are building us into the church together. A church that is multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational. Forgive us, Lord, of our ignorance and our selfishness and help us to embrace hospitality, solidarity, 
and mutuality. Amen.